listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. Sex PharmD podcast with your host, Dr. Nadia Archambault, licensed clinical pharmacist and certified sex therapist. With a focus on women's sexual health and wellness, Dr. A is here to cover important health topics and answer all of your questions about subjects that can be applied to pharmacy practice. And now, here's Dr. A. All right. Well, I am super excited here. Uh, my name is Dr. Nadia Archambault. I am a pharmacist and welcome to Sex PharmD. I have a very special guest here, Lindsay Walden. She is a licensed mental health counselor, certified sex therapist, and relationship coach. And she is going to take us through her journey and what she's been doing in the community uh, for patients and helping us pharmacists navigate what's happening now in her line of work. So welcome, Lindsay. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for inviting me. I've been so excited all day. I'm like, okay, I got to get through my client work then I can do the fun stuff of the recording. But no, it's great to be here. I was, as we were getting ready to start talking about, we've kind of known each other for almost 10 years now and, you know, have definitely been like supportive forces, but I love getting to sort of come and talk about exactly what it is that I do and and how there's overlap maybe with what I do and what you do. And yeah, just you know, love that. Um, yeah. And uh, all of your listeners out there too, I know there's always questions that come up and I think some of the like, well, what is a sex therapist? How does that work? And, you know, I'm always happy to answer questions. So even if things come in like later, I'm, you know, just let me know and I'll, I'll do what I can to get an answer for you. Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners out there, I met Lindsay in uh, sex therapy certification training Mm -hmm. in West Palm Beach. I was trying to remember the exact year. I have to look up my certificate. It was uh, 2012. Mm -hmm. 2012. Okay. So I wanted to do, I wanted to broaden my practice a little. It was definitely a newer thing. And it was an unknown thing for pharmacists to get into because I'm not a licensed mental health professional, but I dealt with more the medication end of things. And on your end, you're a therapist. So, you know, as far as what you see right now with patients, if you want to just take us a little bit through what kind of patients you're seeing and then how it relates to pharmacy medications and, you know, how that's being handled right now. Yeah, no, and I, and I love that overlap because I do think that so often when we look at treating a patient from different perspectives, we all have our lenses that we view things through. And, you know, as, as a licensed therapist, I pretty early on knew that I wanted to work in a private practice setting. And I knew that working with couples was just a huge interest of mine. And didn't really have a lot of sex therapy training at the beginning and, you know, would find myself being curious and interested. But if something came up that I didn't know how to work with, I was referring to a specialist. And, 
it was through that journey that I realized, you know what, I don't think I can do couples therapy without doing sex therapy. And I also don't think I can do sex therapy without focusing on couples therapy. So I really did see that overlap pretty early on. Um, but then also, you know, collaborating with, you know, therapists like, excuse me, uh, pharmacists like yourself and, you know, other other different practitioners, I, I see the need for all of it, you know, and so specifically what I'm noticing is not only have the last, we'll say like two years at this point with kind of pandemic land been really hard on relationships in lots of ways, I've also seen a higher maybe prevalence of people that are seeking antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication. Maybe they're, you know, having trouble sleeping. So sometimes the sleeping medication gets thrown in the mix. Um, and really just, I think, uh, you know, it's bringing a lot of stuff to the surface because, you know, collectively we've all been going through a lot of processes and sort of the world as we knew it is like changing. And, you know, what does that look like? And understandably so there's been, a, I think, a higher prevalence of relationship stress that's gotten thrown like in the mix. Not only is that, but, you know, during the holiday time of year, I think it also gets a lot more stressful because we see family that maybe we don't see other times during the year or, you know, we're around difficult dynamics. And I think for the last couple of years, it's just been a little bit more unusual with everything going on in the world. So there's just, there's a lot of stuff swirling around all at once. And I think the big overlap that I see more than anything is people may have started a medication and, you know, it's helping from like the, you know, maybe the depression alleviation of symptoms or anxiety management, whatever it may be. But now they feel like maybe their sexual side is being hindered or potentially just not as functioning as they would like it to be. So sometimes it is a, a bit of education around, okay, so what, what different medications can do and how that might show up. And then also maybe redefining even how we look at the sexual response cycle, like, okay, so maybe I'm not going to have that spontaneous, you know, desire or arousal that was a bit more present without this medication in my system, for instance. And so what can I do to still focus on the intimate and, you know, emotional connection that comes from like a physical relationship? Or if I don't feel like I'm very in a desirous place, how do I sort of manifest that? So it can, it can show up in a lot of ways that I'm sure there's far many more that I'm not even thinking of at the moment, but that, that seems to happen. I would say, at least once or twice a week with a new client that might be experiencing just symptoms that they weren't expecting. Mm, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think as pharmacists, we, we deal so much, we're dealing with an, you know, practitioners, a nurse practitioner, a, a physician, mm. psychiatrist, but we forget about our therapists. And I think, you know, I think moving forward, especially for pharmacists, even listening that are going to their own, into their own practice and in independent pharmacy, um, I think it's important to collaborate with the, the local therapist because you guys are seeing so many patients, especially right now. And now that telehealth is so prevalent and while you're not prescribing, you're often given a laundry list of medications. You might not even know what some of them are for, you know? And so I think it's great for in the future for more, more practitioners like yourself and, you know, to collaborate with these pharmacists and, 
even like with the coaching and everything that you offer, I think that's amazing. Um, yeah, you know, that yeah. actually was born out of, so when I started doing some media stuff, um, and I would be a guest kind of like this, I would have people reaching out that may not be like in my local area wanting to know, like, well, can I collaborate with you or can I consult with you or just maybe have a session to ask you some questions. And so over the last, I would say probably three or four years now, I've sort of branched into that as yes, I can do the traditional therapy model of the let's sit and talk through things. But for more of a consulting coaching place, sometimes that is with other practitioners that are looking to just grow their knowledge and want to, you know, maybe don't need multiple sessions, just need like a one-time meeting to get a lot of things checked off their list and they'll come back if they need help. Sometimes it is maybe a couple or relationship that says, you know, hey, we, we don't necessarily want to do the whole therapy thing, but we'd like some just guidance. You know, can you can you offer some insight? So I'm glad to have that option, um, like kind of in the services that I put out there. And so what I always tell people is if you're not sure what services you need, I am happy to do like a quick consult to just sort of say, OK, what are you looking for? Is that something I can actually provide or, you know, should I refer you to someone that's better suited for what you need? So that's just a free service that I offer to kind of do a quick gauge on whether or not I am the right fit for what someone's needing, you know, and to make sure that they know what they're signing up for, that if they need a very long term therapy arrangement and I'm going to do more of a quick consult, you know, or coaching arrangement, that might need, might not be what they need. So we just want to make sure they're signing up for the right service, you know. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, I'm trying to think. So the the top things you're seeing right now, the trend, if you want to say, with patients, yeah. um, an increase in antidepressants, mm-hmm. anxiety, Definitely. for yeah. sure. Um, and of course, I, you know, some medications treat both, but, you know, depending on what they're presenting with, it could be some of one or both. Okay. Yeah. Are you seeing low libido still, or are you with, with your relationship coaching? Yeah, I would say that the number one reason that clients, like if it's not specifically that they know medication is the, is the struggle. The number one reason couples reach out to me is a desire discrepancy where one person is desiring more, you know, sexual activity or intimate time than the other. And it's causing some friction. Um, I think that pretty much over the course of the last, you know, 15 years that I've been working as a therapist, that has probably been the number one reason that couples reach out is that there's some some sort of a desire discrepancy, um, whether or not that is brought on by a medication, whether it's a mental health condition that's causing a libido discrepancy. Um, sometimes it's just life changes. We've definitely over the last two years seen a lot of career changes a lot of, you know, just shifts for how family time and how much togetherness time we have versus maybe previously. At the very beginning of, I would say like March, April of 20, I was noticing that couples that were in kind of like the stay at home, stay together kind of orders, um, that was causing a lot of interesting arguments and disagreements just simply because the amount of togetherness they weren't used to. You know, we might take, you know, two people that are otherwise pretty busy and have their own careers outside of the home. All of a sudden, you know, for two to four weeks are at home all the time, all day, every day. 
And that was causing some interesting shifts also where we had people that were like, oh, I've got, you know, idle time. Let's be sexy all the time. And other people saying, no, this is causing me a lot of stress and stress and anxiety is getting in the way of my desire. And then simply just the being together all the time. Like, I don't have time to miss you because you're here with me all the time. So when we, you know, are together all day long, every day, it's almost like I don't have time for that desire to build up. So those were like early themes that I was noticing. And then I would say probably over the last six months or so, it's been more of a, wow, you know, the last couple of years have brought up a lot of stress or have really forced me to sit with, you know, feelings and emotions that I didn't really expect. And so now that they're all coming to the surface, I've got to deal with it. And so whether they start with me as an individual client, and then maybe we branch into couples therapy and realize that that might be an element that's needed. Sometimes it's, you know, couples just noticing that they're not connecting, you know, in, in a, in a intimate sexual way anymore and want some help with it. Yeah. I think divorce rate went up, babies went up (laughs) in one direction or the other. (laughs) I know it's like both ends of that spectrum, you know, and no matter also like where people may feel like, you know, I I don't do a lot of like, you know, political religious discussions, but I'll say no matter what side of any equation people find themselves on, there is an impact, right? So whether they, you know, feel one way and their spouse feels another, or maybe they feel exactly the same way about the issues at hand, but just the stress of having to feel like we're dealing with a lot all the time has definitely, you know, put a strain on some relationships, you know, I think it's also made us sort of evaluate like the fragility of life, like what's important to us, you know, life is short. And when we saw a lot of our like way of life shift and change, and, you know, even the fact that now, you know, there's still a lot of adjustments that we're going through. I think it has caused a lot of people to sort of look at, you know, I want to be happy in my relationship. I don't want it to just be like kind of, you know, getting by. Like I really want us to have a deep, meaningful connection. And I do want to feel like I've got like a same team partner that we're, you know, in this together. And so I do a lot of work with that concept of like, what does it mean to be on the same team? How do you become a relationship with a foundation that can accept a full range of emotion from both people and that we don't go into that, like, let's just argue about everything. Let's really use empathy and try to understand, you know, where the other person is coming from. Yeah. I I love the way you said that. Yeah. Um, And I think people are more receptive now to getting therapy. And and even in pharmacy, we have telehealth. That's been a huge game changer. And I feel that the appointment, you know, the appointment show rate has definitely Mm -hmm. gone up. No shows are a lot less because if they need to, worst case scenario, they can even do it in the car, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's really helped with a lot of patient reception, patients seeking more, more help and advice when they need it. Yeah. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that the pandemic was so horrible, it has at least opened up more possibilities with telemedicine. I think that's been fantastic. And I know you, you do primarily telehealth, correct? 
I do now, you know, I, when things first kind of the stay at home orders, I did a temporary, like all my therapy was going to go virtual. I was already doing the coaching and consulting virtual. So I had kind of a model to go by, but I had never really tried to do my entire practice that way. And what's interesting is that pretty quickly I was seeing more people were able to have sessions because they didn't have to worry about commuting to the office. Um, Mm -hmm. There was also, like you said, the ease of like your lunch break or doing it from your car, stuff like that was, you know, a lot more, I think, attainable for, you know, a wider range of people. There was also, I made a shift where I said, you know what, if you don't want to do a full hour, but maybe you need like a 30 minute check-in, let's make that a possibility, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that helped people also from the fee aspect, feeling like they weren't having to, you know, come up with as much of a fee. So it was like, there were a lot of benefits. Um, I will say that I've had maybe a handful over the last couple of years now that have said, well, I really want to be with somebody in person. Totally get that. That Mm -hmm. may not be a fit for everyone, but I would say like 95% of my practice, um, has been fine with the virtual and it's actually allowed me to grow. I've almost doubled my practice in the last probably year and a half, two years. And I'm very grateful for that, but it also shows me that there are a lot of people needing help. And so there's just been a a greater need for it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I want to shift now because I think you do some really interesting work with um, the transgender community. This is a big topic mm-hmm. in pharmacy now because we have uh, people who are transitioning and they're going on hormonal placement therapy. And I know as pharmacists, we're trying to navigate yeah. how to counsel, what to do, mm-hmm. where to go. Mm-hmm. You know, what what are some of the things that you're seeing that comes up? And from a, even a health perspective for pharmacists, what do you think are some good resources for us to tap into mm-hmm. uh, to help kind of navigate this, this new world of medicine? I mean, I think it's fascinating and I think it's yeah. great that you are able, you know, you work with this also, so. Absolutely. Yeah. It has always been a very rewarding aspect of my practice. And I'm, I'm always reminded of that when I do work with someone that, you know, sort of discloses that information, or we even go through the process of getting them connected with the right pharmacy and, you know, medical services, because mine is really focused on the mental health aspect of it. But, you know, there's a couple of things that I'm noticing, um, you know, as with, I think, all progressive societies, you know, every time we lean into something with curiosity, there is going to be potential blowback from people that don't understand it, or, you know, that want to somehow like, vilify someone else's reality. And one of the things I go back to a lot is that you don't necessarily have to understand where someone is coming from to still be an empathetic, supportive person. And so I do hear that a lot from, you know, doctors or pharmacists that I might work with and like, well, what do I say? What do I do? And, you know, the, the best thing you can do is to meet someone with empathy and just go, okay, if I was in their shoes, what would I want? Maybe I don't understand it fully, but I can know what it's like to want to be addressed with respect. I can know what it's like to not be understood. And I can imagine what that might be like. And so what I have found is that when someone, you know, comes forth with information about being transgender or not being sure about that, or just not really clear on 
what steps to take. I try to just really meet them where they are. I get them to tell me their story as much as they are comfortable with. And then I often opt for for saying, you know, okay, well, now that you've shared this with me, maybe you reached out under, you know, your, your given birth name. What would you like me to refer to you as? What, what name feels right to you? What pronouns would you like me to use? And I always tell them like, you know, I make every effort to meet you where you are, but if I ever say something that, doesn't make you feel listened to or heard, or you feel like I'm not getting it, please stop me. You know, you're the expert on you and I want to really meet you where you are. You know, um, I think from a medical perspective, this is tough sometimes because, you know, if someone goes in for, you know, any sort of like hospital care or any sort of picking up a prescription, things like that, we're dealing with the issues of maybe the, you know, how someone's presenting versus what their license might say, or, you know, what their medical records may show or what their social security number brings up when it's put into a system. And that's the reason I like to try and be very like, you know, meet them where they are, but also let them know, you know, Hey, you know, the system is telling me X, Y, and Z. I really want to meet you where you are though. Like, help me know how to better address you, things like that. And it goes a long way. It really does. Just letting someone feel heard and listened to, you know, just think about your own experiences, you know, and maybe people that are listening of what it's been like if, you know, someone's ever referred to you by the wrong name, or maybe you go by a nickname and they use your full name or like, you know, Nadia, when we got started, like, I have a tendency to say your name as, as Nadia. And it's like, that's just a small example, you know, that you probably go through on a regular basis where people mispronounce your name, you know, and it's not that you're angry at the world because of it, but that you would like to be addressed appropriately, you know? Um, It's just simple things like that. Just trying to meet somebody where they are, regardless of whether or not you fully understand their experience, you know, and it, that, that basic human decency, I think, is not that hard to come by, but yet it can seem in short supply in the world we live in today. I love that. I think understanding their story and the why is so important dealing with, with, with our patients going through um, you know, any type of transition. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that for pharmacists also in their practice when they're dealing with patients and talking to them. It's not just another patient with another medicine, it's a whole story behind it and a why as far as why they're starting estrogen therapy or why they're starting testosterone therapy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's really, that's really amazing. Um, What ages are you seeing? Like, what is the, what's the common age right now that you're seeing for that? You know, it really does range. I generally do not work with people under the age of 13. I sort of specialty wise feel like I am a lot more equipped to work with like that early teenage and older. I would say the average is probably somewhere in the 16 to 21 range based on my practice, but mm-hmm. I know it's different for different people. Um, you know, and the other struggle there is that sometimes if someone is still a minor, you know, getting parents on board or, you know, even figuring out what doctors are willing to work with patients under 18 versus waiting until they hit that 18 mark and letting them make some decisions for themselves. Um, But I would say, yeah, my range is probably 16 to 21 and average of when they may come out with that. But honestly, I have worked with clients as young as probably nine that, you know, needed to talk through these transgender, you know, questions and, and wanted to, you know, have some support all the way. I think my oldest client was like in their sixties 
you know, and so it really does range. And, you know, another trend, I don't know if it's a trend per se, but another thing I'm noticing is that, you know, we've gotten away from this idea that it's an either or situation, like either I'm male or female, either I'm, you know, gay or straight, either I'm this or that. And I think we're starting to look at a lot of things more on a spectrum of presentation. You know, there are a lot of clients I'm seeing that may not say they are transgender, but yet they identify in like a non-binary or a gender queer kind of way where maybe they are not looking to go through hormone replacement therapy or any sort of surgical, you know, treatment, but yet they don't really feel like they fit in a box. You know, they don't want to be put in an either or category. And I think with any like level of better understanding, there's going to also be misunderstanding. And so I think sometimes for those clients, it's a struggle because they don't quite know how to explain it to others that don't get it because we have been so conditioned to seeing Mm. things in that binary that it can be, you know, a bit frustrating and difficult. And I think sometimes they even feel like maybe, you know, well, if I was transgender, at least people would know what to call me. You know, they would say like, oh, they're transgender and this is their identity. But when I say I'm non-binary, they're like, well, what does that mean? Who are you? And it's like, you know, I, I have a good friend that falls in this category and I believe currently still is comfortable with she pronouns and her pronouns, but also doesn't really identify as male or female and just sort of says, you know, their name and that they're just like, yep, I just am, you know, this is me. This is my name. That's who I am. I kind of, I guess, you know, I was female assigned at birth. I do use her and she pronouns, but I'm really just me, you know, cause yeah. I don't do a lot of things that are traditionally male or female. I kind of bridge that gap. And I, and I get that, you know, I mean, when we know that medically, even looking at a condition like, you know, being born with not even necessarily external genitalia that is, you know, male or female or kind of ambiguous. I mean, there's a lot of other chromosomal and, you know, like hormonal, uh, things that are present that a lot of people don't even realize until they are hitting puberty. And then they're like, wow, okay. So my body, there's a reason I feel different because my body chemistry is, and just giving people language to look at that and, and not feeling like, you know, well, you have to be this or that. If it doesn't affect your day, why do you care? You know? Yeah, no, I mean, it's so true. I remember in class that this was 2012 when we had, this was not a big thing. Mm -hmm. I remember we had someone from the transgender community come in. Do you remember that? I do. Very powerful. And I felt so bad. Now I forget if the person went by her or she. I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, they were a trans woman that identified with her and she pronouns. I don't remember their name, Mm -hmm. um, but I do remember it being a really powerful conversation of getting to see like, this is a normal, well-adjusted person. There's nothing horribly wrong with them. And I think sometimes when we don't understand something societally, we have a tendency to go, oh, well, something's wrong with them. And then when you meet someone, you know, I'll often ask people that, that don't understand it. I'm like, well, have you ever met anyone and actually asked them to share with you their experience or ever been curious to learn more? And I think a lot of times there's that fear element of like, well, I don't understand it. So I don't really want to be associated with it when really they're, they're people, 
you know, and if we go back to that, we are people, the things that make us similar far outweigh the things that make us not similar. And I think we forget that sometimes. And we want to like drill down and be like, well, you have to make a choice or you have to pick a box or you have to tell me exactly who you are and you can't change. And it's like, okay, but we're fluid human beings. We just are. We're always changing and growing and learning and discovering new things about ourselves. And, you know, I have a, I have a good friend that recently, um, you know, came out and said, you know, I, I do think I'm more on the non-binary spectrum. I don't really want to, you know, go through any hormonal shifts. I really kind of just want to live my life authentically, but if Mm -hmm. you wouldn't mind, please use they, them pronouns going forward. And, you know, I, I was really like, my heart was warmed by how much of a great reception, you know, was happening. But I also know that within their pocket of experience and existence, they've been really selective with who they let in that circle. And I do worry about you know, what happens if they go into a workplace and share that information or have to go to the hospital and share that information? Mm. Is it going to be received with that same level of respect? I want it to be, but I do think societally we're struggling a little bit with what to do in those cases. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned like checking off a box. I know I am sick of checking off boxes myself, like even (laughs) just for, you know, single, married, widowed, divorced, like, okay, like, why does it matter if I've been divorced? Like I'm not married anymore. So it's not the Mm -hmm. marriage. You know, I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm sick of the boxes and then single. Are you really single or are you in a relationship? Like these are things that enter my mind. I know. I know. Boxes. And I can't imagine it being male, female and someone else is like, okay, well, I don't fit in either one of those categories. You know, it's, they just need yeah. to get rid of the boxes. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does. Like it makes my little sex therapist heart so happy when I go to fill something out and it does offer like a neither or non-binary or other option, because mm-hmm. at least I feel like, okay, we're making some progress in this way. Like we're getting a little bit closer to acceptance, but you know, I also understand that, you know, the, the, the greater population at large is really the, you know, sort of the, the societal, like quote unquote, societal norm. And so when we're talking about a minority of a population, there's often going to be some misunderstandings. And, you know, there is um, a really great um, social media person that I follow, and I cannot remember their handle off the top of my head, but their name is Jeffrey. And they go by they, them pronouns, but they also have at least recent things I've seen have said, you know, but my name is Jeffrey. And I love, love, love their TikTok and YouTube because they are just so warm and loving and accepting. And when someone comes to them with hate or ignorance, they don't bash them back. They really do approach it with, you know, I love you. And I I hope that you can see that my response back to you is not one of anger, that it's actually one of trying to educate. And I'm trying to use my platform to spread that it's okay to just be you, you know, mm-hmm. and every time their videos come up on my page, it just, gosh, it it can, it can bring tears to my eyes. Cause I just love seeing that someone is accepted enough and has this huge following. They've done a Ted talk and they've done some other things, you know, in their own media, like sort of career. And yes, they do receive some hate, but yet 
I do see this huge movement of people that are supporting this individual. And, you know, so I see things like that and that does give me hope, you know, or I see things with my younger clients, people that are, you know, in high school now and, you know, that they do have just a sort of accepting kind of way about them of like, you know, oh yeah, I have a friend that's non-binary and I have one that's asexual and I have a few that are gay, but you know, I'm straight and you know, I'm, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm a woman and I identify that way, but I love everyone. Like I really am encouraged when I hear Mm -hmm. those kinds of things coming from people, especially like the next generation that's coming up because it does, it makes me feel hopeful that like we're moving in the right direction But with anything, we're going to take some steps forward. There's going to be some steps backwards and we have to keep moving forward. And so I think even just having a platform like this to have this discussion is like one little rung in that ladder moving Mm -hmm. forward, you know? Absolutely. This is something I'm very passionate about, just getting a lot of things out there in the realm of sexual health and wellness. Um, Right. I remember now, especially now with, with patients undergoing surgery, I remember that patient that we had seen that time mm-hmm. who I think they, they had to go to, where did they get their surgery? It was some, I'm trying I don't to know. remember, did they actually go to the Papillon center under Dr. Christine McGinn? Do you know if that was connected to their case? I can't that's remember. A, that's yeah. a resource I would recommend. Um, okay. You know, Dr. Christine McGinn is an amazing transgender woman that has done huge things in the field, um, has an entire center with her wife, and they um, that they operate in, I want to say it's like it's in the Northeast somewhere, but if you do a search for them, you, you will find her. Um, they were also featured in the movie trans that I believe we watched during that year. I've also been on, uh, in a training with a panel discussion with Mark Schoen and his sexsmartfilms.org, I believe it is. Um, those are really great resources. His trans movie, I think it's available on Amazon prime, but I do know it's available like on his website. I feel like it's a great resource even still. I mean, we're going on, it's been almost a decade since it was, you know, but I think it's still a really good resource. Um, It does a lot of really good breaking down of the different ways that trans people can exist in the world and seeing the range of young to old and how those things might be different, just the world that they have grown up in and how it's treated differently. Um, Those are really great resources, um, you know, to just have someone sort of go to. So we've got Christine McGinn, uh, the Papillon Center, sexsmartfilms.org, and Mark Schoen. Those are the ones I would really recommend. And his movie Trans are probably the best resources. Yeah. And usually those are things I offer clients to, to say, Hey, you know, go do some research on your own. Like here's some things to go read about. Cause I never know exactly what's going to resonate with someone, you know, there's also a really interesting website. I believe it is called, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I want to say it's like it's called metrosexual.com. It's some kind of interesting name like that, but they have created what's known as the gender bred person, which looks at the full spectrum presentation of identity, presentation outwardly, orientation, male, female. It looks at everything on a spectrum. And I feel like it does a really good overview, like job for people to just sort of start wrapping their head around. It is sometimes used to educate kids 
about these yeah. concepts, but it's, I have found it really effective with adults and even in presentations that I've done at various centers over the years, I've used that printout multiple times. It's just, it's a very effective way to like sort of paint the picture. Cause you see a lot on that one graphic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will make sure to include all that with a lot, you know, with that info, with the podcast, sure. we also have, um, we'll also make sure to have all your info as oh, a resource. Absolutely. Yeah. That'd mm-hmm. be great. And, um, I'm happy to and, help and yeah, yeah, in whatever ways, be it someone just has a question, I'll answer it if I can, or I'll get you the info. If you do want to maybe work with me on any level, like I said, reach out, let me know, Hey, I want to know what's best. And we will do a consult before having you like go through any registration or payment or anything like that. So that you make sure it's a good fit. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know, we've, as we've seen, like even on that show botched where people have gone for different uh, procedures and Mm -hmm. in another country and it's a complete hack job and it's scary what, what these poor people are going through or they couldn't afford it in the U S or it wasn't available in the U S years ago. So we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lot of, and then there's medication management involved with that. So I think that, you know, our fellow pharmacists have, you know, some I've, I've spoken with many who this is a new navigating a new world. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to mention, um, it's called ASECT, the American Association yes. of Sexuality Educators, Counselors and Therapists. Yes. And I like that resource. I'm a member there. And I think they're a good resource also. And for those pharmacists that want to get, uh, become a sex educator, and get certified. Right. That's yes. really cool. Yeah. Absolutely. I, um, I'm actually thinking of continuing, uh, my PhD work through them, um, mm-hmm. and, and to go ahead and fully get that certification. It's one of those things. I think I told you when we were going through everything training wise, my life was kind of in chaos. So it was just kind of on the back burner, but I really do want to go ahead and like complete that full certification from that perspective. Like I have the sex therapy certification, but would really like to get the ASECT one. And, and you know, they are, a great resource. I totally agree. Yeah, no, I think that'd be awesome for you for sure. Yeah. yeah it's like, sure a lot. I'm realizing that now. And I- <laughs> no, no, it's all good. It's so I'm funny. Myself. You know. Okay. I know. I know in the recording world, it's so funny. You'll hear yourself back and you're like, wow, I say that a lot. Okay. Well, that just must be me, you know, but I mean, it's, it's part of your personality. It's all good. Yeah. Um, and, and I also love how, you know, you are just wanting to ask these questions because I also think that that is how we grow, you know, that's how we grow as a society. And one of the reasons I love doing the, you know, like podcasting or, you know, any other media, whatever it may be, is that if we can just reach one or two people and kind of give them some info. I would love to reach more than that, but we, you know, that one seed that we might plant for someone really does grow. And those seeds sort of grow into a much more accepting, understanding world. And I I think, you know, there's some comedian I heard the other day that was like, you know what? everyone seems angry about everything all the time. And I think there's some truth to that right now. I think there's a lot of anger that's at the surface. And I think when we can have open forum discussion like this, where we're not angry, we're just being accepting and trying to be loving and understanding. I really do think it matters. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's so, so right. Now, what do you, what kind of advice would you have for 
Like what's your big takeaway advice for, for us pharmacists navigating just everything with sexual health and wellness, mm-hmm. the, you know, transgender um, population, what's, you know, what is your biggest piece of advice for us in our practice? <laughs> you know, the things that I always come back to, whether this be personal, professional, doesn't really matter, is that healthy communication involving active listening, using empathy as the foundation is really going to be your best key for success because there's not a one size fits all approach. But if instead of, you know, cause, and I'm guilty of this too. If I have someone that seeks me and I already see where we're headed, right. I've done that type of therapy so much that it's like, I know the path and I can pretty much tell you like the next six sessions are going to look pretty much like this. As much as I may know that, and have a pretty good idea that that's where we're headed, it would be wrong for me to just impose that on a client. You know, I really need to, in that first session, even if I have a bit of an idea of where we're headed, to get clear on, okay, well, where do they think we're headed? You know, what is Mm -hmm. it that they are seeking? What are they asking me? You know, and then we dig into what's the thing beneath the thing. So there's always that presenting thing that they come in with. But then what does that lead us to? What roadmap are we, you know, uncovering as we work together to let us go to those deeper levels? And I think that that in all healthcare professions is a really helpful piece is just to say, okay, I may be very seasoned in what I do, but when someone new shows up, that is their first time interacting with me. So even if it looks very similar to things I've worked with in the past, or maybe I think I have an idea of where we're headed, if I can get very curious, if I can meet them with active listening and empathy, it's going to go a long way. Because people want to be heard. They want to be validated that, you know, okay, that's how you feel. Let's let's validate that because that's how you feel. But let's let's work together on a solution, you know, and I and I think that's a really good rule of thumb. I love that. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. Absolutely. Yeah. Great seeing you too. When for those of you that, you know, listening, we had the the certification was intense because it was that we had the supervision one night and then it was like a Saturday mm-hmm. all day marathon. Yeah. And it's very yeah. sad. The woman who did the whole program, she passed yeah. away of cancer. She was a hoot. I, she, she's from Palm beach. She was a she hoot. Was. I, I don't know if you remember her talking about sexy thoughts all the time, Yes, but <laughs> my actual first radio show, I called that and I kind of did it in her honor. Cause it was Love such it. a, like, it was such a great way to say, you know, that if you're not thinking sexy thoughts, you're not going to really have like the sexy relationship that you want. And it's a simplified way to look at it. But I, I liked that I was able to like, you know, kind of honor her in that way. But yeah, it was really sad to hear that she passed. You know, I I feel really grateful that I got to know her and learn from her. And, you know, obviously like her, her lesson stuck with a lot of us, you know? Right. I know she was amazing. She was a pioneer. She was, I, she was great. Yeah. Such an interesting person. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how can everyone find you and get in touch with you? And I'll make sure to have this sent in anyone on here. You can email sexfarmd at gmail.com questions. If you want to get in touch with Lindsay directly questions about the show or in general, Absolutely. Um, so yeah, sexfarmd at gmail.com for everyone listening. And then yeah. for you, 
For What's me, the they they can go to my website, lindsaywalden.com, and that's Lindsay with an A-Y. So L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-W-A-L-D-E-N.com. There is a contact me feature throughout the website where you can send me an email directly. It goes right to my professional email address and I can respond back that way. Um, you're also welcome to my office line is 314-485-9189. I can get text and phone calls at that number leave me a message if you don't get me probably just means I'm in session and I try to return those within 24 hours but yes I am all over social media I had taken a little bit of a social media break but all of my platforms are still active and I'm working on getting things back up and kind of like more regular posting but on TikTok and Instagram I am at this is Lindsay Walden on Facebook it's Lindsay Walden Consulting and then I have a Pinterest um, account which does a lot of like related relationship and therapy things. It's just my name, Lindsay Walden. And I am getting back on the clubhouse platform doing, doing more relationship stuff. And that one is um, at lindsay.walden. So I'm kind of everywhere. Look at um, you. You are busy. Yeah, if, if you do a search for me on most social media, you'll find me. Um, and you're welcome to reach out any of those places and ask whatever questions you may have. Perfect. So there's a lot of different ways to get in touch yeah. with you. That's great. It has definitely. been amazing having you on. I, I love, I mean, I love everything you have to talk about. I definitely want to have you on again at some point to talk oh, about some other things. Um, but this has been anytime. Yeah. Well, I am very grateful. Thanks for having me on. And I will definitely yeah. make sure to kind of share it out on my end too, so that people know how to listen. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening too. This episode is brought to you by delicious bear snacks. Between cryotherapy, goat yoga, and smoothies made with things you can't even pronounce, wellness can feel a bit complicated. But there's a simpler way to wellness, bear snacks. They're a tasty, crunchy snack made simply of apples. With bear snacks, less is more. Buy bear snacks now at most grocery retailers nationwide.